0: God is glorious in His saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Dr. Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian Saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate Saint James Theodore Holly, the first African-American Archbishop of the Episcopal Church. James Theodore Holly was born on October the 3rd, 1829, as a free black man in Washington, DC. His grandfather, was involved in the construction of the U.S. Capitol building. He was raised in a Roman Catholic family, but converted to the Episcopalian Church in his early adulthood and entered the priesthood soon after. At his request, he was appointed as a missionary to Haiti, an island in the Caribbean. Holly was an advocate of the Black Emigrationism movement, believing African Americans should leave the United States to escape unfair treatment by the white majority. Haiti was a desirable destination, as it was close by and ruled by Haitians of African descent after they won a war of independence from the French. This emigrationism idea was controversial, in the African American community, and many prominent African American leaders of the time, such as Frederick Douglass, were adamantly opposed to it. Let us read an article titled James Theodore Holly by Bertha Henderson, published in the Negro History Bulletin on the first of may nineteen forty one. This article discusses James Theodore Hawley's life from the perspective of this emigrationism movement. James Theodore Hawley was one of the prominent leaders of Negroes who, before the Civil War, urged them to go to some foreign country where they would be respected as men. Hawley actually demonstrated what he had in mind by doing this thing himself. He became prominent then, both in this country and abroad. Holly was born of Roman Catholic parents in St Mary's County, Maryland. His birthplace was not far from Washington DC, and his father served as one of the labourers to build the capital. When a boy, Holly was apprenticed to the shoemaker's trade. And served in that way many years. By the time he was 22, he had learned to read and write. He found his way to the north, where he studied further. The more he learned, the more he felt like doing something to improve the condition of his oppressed people. He decided then to become a minister. Holly had been brought up as a Catholic, but he joined the Protestant. Episcopal Church, and was made a priest in 1850. He served as a rector in western New York, later in Michigan, next in Canada, and finally at the St. Luke's Protestant Episcopal Church in New Haven, Connecticut. In Haiti, to which he conducted a colony of Negroes, he was again active in this church, and in 1874, was consecrated as the Right Reverend Bishop of Haiti. Holly was best known in the United States, however, not for his work in the church, but for his effort to improve the condition of the Negroes in the United States. A well-educated man, he could give advice on all matters concerning his race, and he was active wherever he believed that he could do some good Holly was welcomed by the Negro leaders of the North, who met in convention annually to reason together about what was best to do for their oppressed people in the United States. Holly was one of those who believed that the Negroes should emigrate to some foreign country. He differed from Frederick Douglass, whose advice to Negroes of the country was to the contrary. Douglass knew that the struggle of the Negro was hard but he could help himself only by actual work. Douglas said, We hope no coloured man will omit, during the coming 12 months, an opportunity which may offer to buy a piece of property, a house lot, a farm, or anything else in the United States which looks to permanent residence here. But Holly was not as radical as Henry Highland Garnett, who urged the slaves to kill their masters, saying, rather die freemen than live to be slaves. Yet Negro leaders who believed in leaving this country had difficulty in deciding where they should go. These leaders finally divided, and those who favoured going to some place in the Eastern Hemisphere and those who opposed going anywhere were excluded from a special convention called in 1853. And yet, At this special convention, there was still much difference of opinion. Martin R. Delaney represented one group desiring to go to Africa but not to Liberia. James M. Whitfield, the poet, stood for those who looked to Central America for permanent homes. Holly held out for Haiti as the most desirable place for free Negroes from the United States. The convention recognised all three groups. And commissioned their respective leaders to explore the countries where homes were desired. Whitfield died in California while on the way to Central America. Holly was the first of these commissioners to act under his instructions. He went to Haiti in 1855, took up the matter with the Haitian Minister of the Interior, and finally with Faustin, the first, who was then emperor. At the next convention of these emigrationists. Held in Chatham, Canada West, in 1856, Holly made a report. Holly was followed in the meantime by James Redpath, a white man who became the Haitian Commissioner of Emigration in the United States, with Holly's corporation at $1,000 a year and travelling expenses. About 2,000 Negroes were thereby settled in Haiti, but they were not carefully selected. Almost any Negro with the desire to emigrate was taken. The project failed. Accounting for this outcome, one said, they proved to be neither intellectually, industrially, nor financially prepared to undertake to wring from the soil the riches that it is ready to yield up to such as shall be thus prepared. Nor are the government and influential individuals sufficiently instructed in social, industrial, and financial problems which now governed the world, to turn to profitable use, willing workers among the laboring class. About one-third of those emigrants remained in Haiti to suffer further hardships in addition to those first encountered. Some of these, like others who had gone to foreign shores to escape from slavery, came back to the United States for better opportunities after the Civil War. Holly, however, stood at his post there doing religious work and helping these people in other ways. He came back to the United States only to secure help to carry further his plans for his people in Haiti. He secured some help and encouragement in England. He never lost faith in the undertaking. He died at his post in Port au Prince, March the 22nd, 1911. I will share here some of James Theodore Hawley's thoughts on the condition of the African-American people in the pre-Civil War United States. Here he affirms that the African is equal to the Caucasian in God's sight. This is an excerpt from a speech of his about the history of the Haitian Revolution. The title is A Vindication of the Capacity of the Negro Race for Self-Government and Civilized Progress as Demonstrated by Historical Events of the Haitian Revolution. Notwithstanding the remarkable progress of philanthropic ideas and humanitarian feelings, during the last half-century, among almost every nation and people throughout the habitable globe, yet the great mass of the Caucasian race still deem the Negro as entirely destitute of those qualities on which they selfishly predicate their own superiority. And we may add to this overwhelming class that cherish such self-complacent ideas of themselves to the great prejudice of the Negro, a large quota also of that small portion of the white race who profess to believe the truths that God is no respecter of persons, and that he has made of one blood all the nations that dwell upon the face of the earth. Yes, I say, we may add a large number of the noisy agitators of the present day, who would persuade themselves and the world that they are really Christian philanthropists, to that overwhelming crowd who openly traduce the Negro because too many of those pseudo-humanitarians have lurking in their heart of hearts a secret infidelity in regard to the real equality of the black man which is ever ready to manifest its concealed sting when the full and unequivocal recognition of the Negro in all respects is pressed home upon their hearts. Hence, between this downright prejudice against this long-abused race, which is flauntingly maintained by myriads of their oppressors on the one hand, and this woeful distrust of his natural equality among those who claim to be his friends on the other, no earnest and fearless efforts are put forth to vindicate their character by even the few who may really acknowledge this equality of the races." They are overawed by the overpowering influence of the contrary sentiment. This sentiment unnerves their hands and palsies their tongue, and no pen is wielded or voice heard among that race of men, which fearlessly and boldly places the Negro side by side with the white man, as his equal in all respects. But to the contrary, everything is done by the enemies of the Negro race to vilify and debase them, and the result is that many of the race themselves are almost persuaded that they are a brood of inferior beings. It is then to attempt a fearless but truthful vindication of this race, with which I am identified, however feeble and immature that effort may be, that I now proceed to set forth the following address. I wish by the undoubted facts of history to cast back the vile aspersions and foul calumnies that have been heaped upon my race for the last four centuries by our unprincipled oppressors whose base interests, at the expense of our blood and our bones, have made them reiterate from generation to generation, during the long march of ages, everything that would prop up the impious dogma of our natural and inherent inferiority. Even after the failure of this project to bring over African Americans to Haiti, Holly remained on the island, pursuing missionary work there. He was consecrated as Episcopal Bishop of Haiti in 1874. When he died, the Episcopal Church had 15 parishes, 7 missions, 15 national clergy, and a church community of over 2,000 persons. He established schools, hospitals, and a mutual aid society on the island. After his death, his legacy to the church there was carried on by his children two of whom became clergymen, and another four who became medical doctors. Here is an account by James Theodore Holly of the progress of his mission in Haiti. This text is titled Facts About the Church's Mission in Haiti – A Concise Statement. While our mission work, like that of the first apostles, must have a foothold in the towns and cities as the base of its operations. It is nevertheless true that the great work that needs to be accomplished in Haiti is in the rural districts, among the country people, who are as a general thing, but one remove above African paganism. It is therefore a matter of satisfaction to me to record the fact that the Banner Parish of the Church in Haiti is situated in the mountains of Leogang. This station was created by Bishop Burgess in 1866 when he ordained a deacon for its ministerial oversight. 35 memorialists had asked the bishop to establish that mission station. When that missionary closed his earthly labours in 1880, three chapels had sprung up in those mountains. In this present year, that is 1896, there are two more chapels there making five in all. And the city of Liogan has been invaded by those mountaineers, and a missionary station established there since March last, with an ordained missionary at its head. There are two lay readers with permission to exhort in each of the five rural chapels. They also make missionary visits from house to house, and like St Andrew, they return, bringing their brethren to the Lord Jesus. These lay helpers cultivate the soil to gain their livelihood, and they further take time to do this spiritual work without the hope of fee or other earthly reward. The rural parishioners in general are not behind them in the work of self-sacrifice. By their own contributions, the land whereon to build those chapels was obtained, as well as the materials for the edifices, and with their own hands, they have built those chapels without any pay being given them for their labor. The chapels are scattered over a district about 20 miles in length. Nearly 200 communicants are registered, and about 500 adherents in all are there to attach. If we have been able to find in the mountains of Lyogan, so many efficient lay helpers. This fact under God is due to a philanthropic native of Poland who took part with the Haitians in their revolution and on that account, though a European, was admitted to the full rights of Haitian citizenship. He lived in those mountains and imposed the duty upon himself of giving elementary instruction to the children of his neighbours. His own children, whom he had more thoroughly instructed, following the example of their father, continued to spread elementary instruction in this mountain district. Thus, a large number of adults are to be found there, capable of reading and writing, than in any similar rural district in Haiti. One of our first lay missionaries there is now 90 years of age, whose instruction by that pole goes back to the first years of the present century. We have not been able to show similar results in the other rural districts where we have stations established, because we cannot find in those other localities persons able to read and write as we find in Liogan. To use the Bible and prayer book, one at least must know how to read. Instructed by this experience gained in the mountains of Liogan, the church in Haiti has organised a system of elementary schools in the rural districts as an indispensable auxiliary of her mission, which must be preliminary to any further extension of that work. Nine such schools are now in operation. For six years, we were able to keep up in a very indifferent manner for want of necessary means, an elementary normal school where country young men pursued three years course of instruction. Most of the teachers in those schools passed through the three years course of that normal school. For want of means to maintain it, we have been obliged to close the normal school provisionally. It is of the utmost importance to the future of our work in Haiti that the normal school should be reopened and a training school established for our candidates for holy orders. Healing the body as well as saving the soul was made the gospel work of our Lord and his apostles. What he thus united together, no man has a right to separate. We may therefore rejoice at the fact that our missionary societies give increasing evidence from year to year that they begin to understand and appreciate the secret of the Kingdom of God in evangelizing the nations. To supplement our Gospel preaching by the testimony of the healing art, five physicians, sons of our clergy born in Haiti, have been trained and graduated. But to be useful to the poor, in the gratuitous service they are willing to render, a dispensary is of the first necessity. This should be followed as soon as possible by a hospital. Some one of those to whom God has given an abundance of this world's good should esteem it a privilege for love of him and suffering humanity to give funds necessary to establish both these needed institutions. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast and be blessed by these stories of God's saints. James Theodore Holly is commemorated in the Episcopal Church's calendar on March the 13th. Here is the collect for his feast day. Most gracious God, whose servant James Theodore Holly laboured to build a church in which all might be free, grant that we might overcome our prejudice, and honour those whom thou dost call from every family, language, people, and nation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. (music)